Hey friends, we're excited to remind you about our friends at Thistle Farms and to tell you a little more about their mission to provide another chance for women survivors of trafficking and addiction. We also want to share how you can support their work in simple, exciting ways. When a survivor arrives to Thistle Farms program, she's provided two years of free housing, trauma therapy, and healthcare, all while working in a supportive community, making Thistle Farms' products like their incredible smelling candles, cute gift sets, body and spa products, and much more. And Thistle Farms' impact reaches globally. They partner with organizations in 21 countries. At thistlefarms.org, you can find leather goods, home textiles, and jewelry that are handmade by artisans are healing from the cycles of exploitation and trafficking in countries such as Honduras, Cambodia, and Haiti. You can be a part of worldwide healing through the simple act of treating yourself or someone you love. What a beautiful win-win. Visit thistlefarms.org and enter the code where we are, that's W-E-A-R, at checkout to receive 15% off your purchase. Thank you for joining Thistle Farms in lighting up the darkness. On this week's episode of Where We Are, we're just over three weeks from Election Day, pretty far down the road toward the midterm elections. More like the plank. More like... (laughs) 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 We're, we're, We're in some kind of like nightmare land carousel ride. Yeah, so on Where We Are... Walking the plank to the midterm elections. We'll catch you up to speed. Talk about what things look like three weeks out. You're listening to Where We Are. Hello, hello, you're listening to Where We Are. We are the Wares. I'm Michael. I'm Melissa. And uh, like I said, the Open, we're three weeks out from the midterm elections. And uh, Melissa, more pressing than that, we're, we have a big week ahead of us. We sure do, Michael. And unfortunately, we sort of teased that we'd have news uh, last week's episode we do have news, we just can't share it. I can't believe you're doing this to them. Uh, well, it's coming this week, I promise. And the best way... So it's big news. I'm excited about it. Me too. Uh, and the best way for you to know about it before next week's episode is for you to sign up at reclaiminghope.substack.com uh, because that's that's where the news will come out. Uh, and so I may talk about it on the morning five uh, this week at some point. But if you sign up for the newsletter at reclaiminghope.substack.com, you'll uh, be among the first to hear what we're so excited about. And, you know, I'm not trying to like, uh, uh, you know, uh, bribe you or anything if, if you're cool wait until next week we'll talk about it next week and you don't have to sign up for anything else uh and so you know don't don't feel don't feel pressured but if you want to know what this news is uh, uh 
ASAP, that's the best way to do it. And Melissa, don't you think people will want to know what the news is? Yes, they will, for sure. Okay, all right. So, you know, again, no pressure, but Melissa thinks you'll want to know. I hope you'll want to know. And so you could sign up and, and you'll be in the know. I feel like there's like an Usher song or something. Uh, trying to think. Um, like, I want to know. Something like that. <laughs> I want to know. I want to know. That's Donnell Jones. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, yeah, d- did. No, that's the song I'm thinking yeah, of. Yeah, that's the song you're thinking <laughs> of. Okay. Uh, you make me want to sign up for a Substack newsletter. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> that's our new theme song, everybody. Yeah. Um, right. Want to jump into the midterms, Michael? Let's jump into the midterms. Okay. What we're first going to cover, we're going to cover President Biden's approval rating. So according to, I mean, there's a bunch of different approval ratings in the in the polls, but looking at a CNN poll, 44% of U.S. adults approve of him right now, um, and that's up from 38% from June from the June and July polling for CNN. Um, his ratings have jumped up nine percentage points among Dems and eight points among independents since that previous poll in June and July. Um, and this poll also says that his image has been particularly has particularly improved among Black Americans, so up seventeen points, and adults younger than forty five, eleven points. So that sounds like good news. And this this idea that across many for, of the polls, for him, yes, for him, <laughs> I'm not sure for Democrats per se, but it's interesting that like you know like the the younger cohort below 45 with like the student loan debt, um, student loan debt relief that you know potentially he did get a bump, but was it only him? Did you know his party get the bump? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So the the polling averages. So putting together the averages for. You know, variety of pollsters. Yeah, there's like a clear, uh, clear upward trajectory for Biden. Basically, since like late July, yep, he hit, hit a low, which you know, by the way, you know, I- I- interesting that he hit that low. You know, the idea that Dobbs was going to be a huge boost. It is going to be a huge boost for Democrats. You know, I guess you could say maybe Americans, you know, blamed him for not stopping Dobbs or not doing enough to respond. But uh, but yeah, it's 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 interesting that he hit his low in uh, late July and has basically been... Um, been moving up since then so it's been he's jumped up about seven points from his low in july to now the uh, real clear politics average has him at 43 his disapproval uh is at 53 so he's still you know underwater but i mean i I think melissa you know i've been saying this for a long time Mm -hmm. which is Biden has suffered politically during his first term. And yes, some uh, you could talk about decisions he's made, but, but 
I think, a huge factor in why his approval has been sub 40 for much of his presidency, or, or I should say, you know, significant, uh, significant portions of his presidency, um, is because he hasn't had a true foil. Right. He's basically been negotiating with Democrats, and that sort of instinct that I've had seems to be confirmed by these numbers, you know, like as we move closer to a midterm election, as he's been getting on the campaign trail more, as he's been able to drive a starker contrast uh, against uh, against sort of the opposition, the alternative, we've seen his numbers go up. I think the this has to be encouraging for the Biden White House as they look to a reelect. And I think, right, he's not on the ballot uh, in this November, and mm-hmm. so uh, they must be. Uh, I would think they'd be hoping this is just a taste of what his approval rating can look like. Sort of once they're in campaign mode for for the presidency, right? But I think this has to be encouraging. I, I would think it. Um, you know, it was looking for a while there, like you know, there were a number of Democrats who might potentially challenge him in a primary, or at mm-hmm. least there was that yeah. kind of like talk. All that chatter. All that chatter. I think, obviously, if the midterms, if Democrats get blown out in the midterms, that talk will come back. But with this approval rating, if he if he's staying well above 40, you know, I think it makes it much more, much more difficult. And so, so yeah, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was worth sort of talking about this approval rating in relation to President Biden's political fortunes. But then, as we'll talk about a bit later, you know, the approval rating of the president uh, in office usually has much to do with how his party fares in the midterms. And that that might change this time around. But, Melissa, you have some other sort of information yeah. you want to talk talk about on, speaking, on, that, on that line. Yeah. yeah, speaking of Dems getting blown away, potentially, I saw on Twitter today, and I started going through through the data, and it was it was quite stark. It's a uh, Harvard Caps Harris poll um, just came out. It was run um, at the beginning of October, and I just want to read through some of the headlines here of various of the various questions that they asked. So, less than a third of voters say that the country is on the right track. Just over a quarter of American voters say the economy is on the right track. Most Americans say their financial situation is worsening. Um, So that's about 57% when they say most. Um, 84% of Americans say the U.S. is in a recession right now or will be in one next year. And then Biden's approval on the management of various issues is weak across the board. So by issues, um, they measure the economy, jobs, terrorism, immigration, foreign affairs, administrating the government, coronavirus, inflation, violence and crime. And so his numbers say for coronavirus, which that comports with a poll we were covering about a few weeks ago, his numbers are all below 50% there. So I read that poll today and I thought the Dems are really, I think they could really get shellacked in three weeks. Just just a total bloodbath. Well, that's, that's the thing, right? Uh, you look at these numbers and based on like 
history, like modern political history, these these kinds of numbers lead to the incumbent president's party getting smashed. I mean, just getting yep. demolished. What we've talked about a bit and what I plan on emphasizing over the next few weeks is it's it's possible and there aren't enough people talking about this. I think it's possibly the, the story coming out of the midterms. It's, it's possible that polarization has gotten so profound that you can have a, a president that's well underwater in approval rating that is disapproved by majority of Americans even. But because we live in a political age in which people's politics is motivated by what they're against more than what they're for, the incumbent president's party could still, if not win, sort of hold their own and not get not get completely trounced like we would see in yeah. other environments. It, it's I think the main thing to look out for, you, you know. And so so the kinds of things we'd be looking for and seeing, you know, whether this is whether this is happening is. How many voters who disapprove of President Biden are voting for the Democrat in the midterm elections? Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, it is, is that sort of crossover vote more significant than, than in previous elections? I think there's a real chance that you that that is what you see, that you see a, a surge of voters who disapprove of the president, but vote for the president's party in, in this election, and that wouldn't be com- obviously completely unprecedented. But if Democrats hold Congress. Th- then yeah, like you said, Melissa, looking at these numbers, that's that's really like the only explanation. That's like the only way that they they could do it. Now, of course, we talked we've talked in previous episodes about uh, how the polling, especially for Senate races in 2020, was way off, and Republicans outperformed the, the polling in 2020. And so, like you said, Melissa, maybe sort of conventional wisdom and sort of political truisms hold and all these numbers that we're seeing uh, that would typically not bode well for the president's party, uh, you know, maybe the midterm elections, uh, maybe they do get trounced and, and no political laws are violated. Yeah. But, but it really is something to watch. Yeah. No, I think that's a really interesting point that you're bringing up here. Um, so we're done with polling for now. Uh, we're going to move on to some of the debates that happened in this past week, some uh, governor and Senate debates. We wanted to highlight a couple of them. That yeah, we, we saw. don't do a lot of, we haven't done a lot of sort of audio uh, on the podcast no. uh, at this point, but uh, we're going to change that. Speaking of laws being violated, 
Uh, we're going to use some audio clips in, in today's episode. Yes. So the first audio clip will be of the uh, Wisconsin Senate debate the other day between Lieutenant Governor <laughs> Mandela Barnes, the Democrat, and Senator Ron Johnson, the Republican. Um, so at the very end of the debate, um, the moderators asked each candidate to say something that they find admirable in the other. So we're going to play this clip. And let's see how it goes. Right, we are down to one final question here. And both of you have said a lot tonight about each other. Now, when we traveled around the state talking with voters, we heard repeatedly from people tired of divisive politics and attack ads. So our final question here tonight is, both of you have been successful in life. You have 30 seconds here. Mr. Barnes, you go first. What do you find admirable about your opponent? Well, no, no, seriously, I, I do think, you know, the senator has proven to be a family man, and I think that's, that's admirable. Um, you know, that's absolutely to be respected. He, he speaks about his family. He's uh, done a lot to provide for them. I absolutely respect that. Mr. Johnson. I mean, likewise, I appreciate the fact that uh, Lieutenant Governor Barnes had loving parents, a school teacher, father worked third shift, so he had you know good upbringing. I guess what puzzles me about that is with that upbringing, why is he turned against America? I mean, what, why, why does he find the right. America awful? It's, 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 Somehow, we, it puzzles we me. did not. I said Please we sorry. said something admirable. Uh, we are. <laughs> Sorry, almost had to play it again because that was just wild, that answer. That answer from Senator Ron Johnson. (laughs) Oh, it's just so wild. So, so, you know, I I talked on the Morning Five, one of the Morning Fives uh, this past week. Ron Johnson has momentum in this race. There was a poll this week that had him up six in a race where Barnes has been pulling up uh, quite, you know, consistently. It's been a neck and neck race. It, people, both Republican strategists and Democrats, uh, Democratic strategists have been saying, you know, it looks like Ron Johnson is pulling away here. Uh, and so, you know, my my sort of thing will be, you know, Ron, Senator Johnson should just be coasting through. Yeah, Ron, my guy. Like just, <laughs> coasting through these debates. Just kneel with the ball. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly right you're up you're up six with 30 seconds left you have the ball why why are you trying to why are you trying to throw hail marys and and cross routes yeah do one of those plays where they toss it down the line kind of thing what do they call those (laughs) yeah yeah. no like a ladder play yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why, why are you pulling out trick plays, buddy? <laughs> but, I mean, so part of it is, and I'll just say, I've talked to Republican senators who, you know, I don't ask questions about their colleagues when I'm spending time with with, with senators. I'm not looking, you know, I'm, I'm trying to check in on, on, on them and talk about issues, talk about the same things, but... I, I, there was a there was a senator who just out of the blue starts talking trash about Senator Johnson, <laughs> and and so you get the sense that he's like a pretty like uh, not the most likable guy. It doesn't yeah, seem like a lot of his colleagues like him, but <laughs> I just love that you know he 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 has a father, uh, you know he 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 seems to have had a nice family. And so what I don't understand is why is he turned against America? I mean, just like, what a pivot. 
I will say it's been like more overlooked. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. But Mandela Barnes' answer wasn't exactly the 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 most uh, enthusiastic. Enthusiastic. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, well, he talks about like his kids sometimes, so that's that's admirable. <laughs> uh, gosh. Uh, so yeah, there is a. I don't know. I um, I think there are better ways to. Uh, try and break down some of the partisan animosity in these races than, you know, asking a question that's clearly going to result in contrived, you know, answers. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not, I'm not like the biggest fan of, of of those kinds of, those kinds of questions in the, in the debate, uh, because not, not, not. I mean, we saw it there. No one gave a serious answer. But yeah. all right, what, what else do you have for us? The the second clip we want to run is um, from the debate in Georgia between Senator um, Raphael Warnock and uh, Herschel Walker. It's a question on abortion. So the actual question is, do you believe there should be any limitations on, ab- on abortion? And here's the exchange. Doctor in the U.S. government, we're asking you to take a clear position right now do you believe there should be any limitations on abortion set by the government? And you have 60 seconds. I think that the women of this country and the women of this state woke up one summer morning and a core protection that they've known for 50 years was taken from them by an extremist Supreme Court. And I stand where I've said I've stand in the past, that a patient's room is too narrow and small and cramped a space for a woman, her doctor, and the United States government. We are witnessing right now what happens when politicians, most of, most of them men, pile into patients' rooms. You get what you're seeing right now. And the women of Georgia, the women of Georgia deserves a senator who will stand with them. I trust women more than I trust politicians. May I, may I respond? Very quickly, Mr. Walker. You know, it is, and I heard about him. That I heard he was he was he's a neat talker, but did he not mention that there's a baby in that room as well? And also, did he not mention that he asked him that he asked him the taxpayer to pay for it? So he bringing the government back into the room. I mean, look, that's the that's the textbook response, and. I, like, I had a friend say, you know, how, how how do you get into an exchange with Herschel Walker this week of all weeks yeah. on abortion and kind of lose the, kind of lose the exchange? I mean, it was uh, Walker had an answer prepared. Warnock you know, uses, has used that line for a long time. And, and, and Herschel Walker responded, you know, appropriately. I mean, we don't need to get into all the politics here, but right. So my, my point of view is, uh, uh, Walker's completely right. You can't, you can't say on one hand, you want government to stay out of it and then call for, 
breaking 50 years of precedent and like like Warnock does and call for federal funds to go towards uh, abortion. And Walker was right to call him uh, call him out on that. And then second of all, like you're running in Georgia. And so it's not just like Warnock is seeking uh, a reversal of Georgia state law and the will of voters in Georgia. And I'm just... I'm just not sure that that is uh, I'm not sure I'm not sure that's why I'll tell you Melissa it reminded me that debate exchange reminded me of the exchange between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump on mm. the same issue yeah. uh, during the presidential debates mm-hmm. yes the, this sense that you know Walker has had uh, several weeks now of news that very profoundly you know, I almost said like puts his character into question. I think it's like beyond, yeah, like yeah, well beyond that. But for a lot of voters, and right, you don't need to say they're right, they're wrong, whatever. Like just as a matter of political analysis, for a lot of voters in Georgia, the fact that Walker would give the answer he gave on that question and that Warnock is asked you know any limitations and he doesn't he can't come up with anything for a lot of Georgia voters that at the very least muddies the character question and again you could you could you could say that's those voters are wrong I'm just talking about what's the outcome of this election that could determine the control of the Senate against a candidate that is widely acknowledged by both Republicans and Democrats in Walker, who's just weak. And, you know, how are Democrats going to feel if Warnock loses loses this race by by a half a point? A point. Are they going to wish that he gave a, a different answer in that in that debate? So really, really interesting exchange. Uh, that was the first debate between Warnock and Walker, I think, uh, I think it might be the only the only time uh, they'll be they'll be debating. It seems like for a lot of these races that it's just one debate. I've noticed, and you know, I think there was a lot of for for a while it looked like they wouldn't debate at all, mm-hmm. um, and so. Um, and so, so yeah, no, just a really, um, uh, the expectations were low for Walker going in, and and most uh, analysts say, you know, because expectations were so low that that Walker, you know, surprised people. Uh, and, and so we'll see how how that race how that race changes again. It, it, between Georgia, Pennsylvania, and we're going to talk about another race. Um, we're really, I think, getting a better sense of, uh, of of the key key races to determine control of, of the Senate. Right. And then another race that might decide the Senate is out in Utah. Uh, so 
it is Senator Mike Lee, the Republican, versus Evan McMullen, who is an independent. Now, you might recognize that name, Evan McMullen, because he ran in the 2016 presidential campaign and made a lot of news because uh, he he got quite a few votes and he's been sort of seen as a moderate center center right candidate and that and that's you know a bit how he's running here for Senate. Um, and then tomorrow they will have their only scheduled debate um, for for the midterms, and so that's expected to be quite heated because this race has gotten really close. Um, McMullen has really caught up to Lee. Um, so in a Deseret News Hinckley Institute of Politics poll, um, Lee ha- uh, Senator Mike Lee has 41% to McMullen's 37%. And there are some polls that um, have McMullen pretty much within that, um, that margin of error. And the Cook Political Report has moved the race from solid Republican to likely Republican because of McMullen's strong run right now. Michael, you had a few things that you wanted to say about this particular race. Yeah, well, first, you know, you could tell the race is getting close because Republicans are starting to snipe at one another over it. Mike Lee, the incumbent, uh, has been trying to pressure his colleague, Mitt Romney, to endorse him, even though Mike Lee didn't endorse Romney in the Republican primary when Romney was running. But now Mike Lee's trying to pressure Mitt Romney, National Review had a editorial up or a piece up saying, you know, that Romney was wrong not to endorse, uh, not to endorse Lee. And so that's one indication that this is sort of getting serious. And then look, it was just like uh, what's important to know about this race is that McMullen is not running just as in sort of on the independent line Mm -hmm. in, you know, the. The thing that really made this a race is that the Democratic Party in Utah agreed to allow McMullen to run on their line as well. Yep. So McMullen, you know, has typically been in the sort of role as spoiler, but now, you know, he's 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 running where the Democrats have said, by the way, quite I you know, I often, you know, pick on Democrats, criticize Democrats for sort of not taking their own rhetoric seriously enough. Again, it kind of, we talked about that with Georgia. You know, if, if Walker really is that big of a threat, then, then maybe you ought to make some compromises and make sure that you get the vote you need to, to win. Democrats, I, I critique them when they don't do that. Have to say here, uh, they did that. They, they, they could have said, no, we don't want Evan McMullen, this former Republican independent, sort of to be the primary opposition to Lee. We'll we'll run someone who sort of embraces the full Democratic agenda. They'll lose, but, you know, at least we'll, I don't know, whatever, make a statement. But they didn't do that. You know, and Evan McMullen is, uh, because of that, in a position to make this a real a real contest. And so it's it is one of the most fascinating races this cycle. Evan McMullen is someone and some of the staff around him and I, I know some of the staff around around Evan uh, these are folks who have been looking to disrupt our our politics and sort of the two-party binary for a long time and 
you know, they're they're close to doing it here. And in three weeks, uh, they could set a new sort of precedent, a new sort of uh, new sort of model. And so it's it's very interesting to watch. I tend to think that. Uh, well, actually, I'm not going to say that. It, it is Utah's such an interesting state, like no other in terms of the what their legislature is able to do, the bold stands that politicians in that state can make, including people like Spencer Cox. Um, I think Evan has a, has a real shot. I'm excited. It's going to be one of the races uh, that I'm watching on election night to be sure like i'm gonna be refreshing uh that page and seeing how utah's uh doing and so yeah no it's a super fascinating race melissa yeah i think mcmullen has a chance too but utah always across the board no matter what kind of like political machinations you're talking about utah always feels like the exception rather than the rule it's just it's a, it's a fascinating state yeah now what'll be interesting here and i have no evidence to think that this might be the case but look if Mike Lee really wants Romney's support then you know oh I know where you're going with this you know may, you know we'll we'll see does does Lee sound a bit of a different tune on January 6th mm-hmm. or you know does does he does he take some sort of like rule of law kind of stand that that appeases Romney and leads Romney to you know be be loyal to the Republican Party endorse Lee which would almost certainly put Lee over the top uh it'll be interesting to see like right now Lee's just been trying to sort of put conservative pressure on on Romney if that doesn't work and it doesn't look like it's working you know maybe Maybe Lee decides, you know, that he needs to go with the carrot and not the stick and try and try and woo Romney. Uh, and so that'll be interesting dynamic to see if, if that plays out over the next few weeks. It, again, it would certainly decide decide the election. Um, just the last thing I'll say is you have to think the McMullen campaign has gotten commitments from Romney or his people that Romney would not be doing that. So it would be right. it would be a really tough, tough thing if that happened. Yeah, I agree. All right, Melissa. That's all, folks. That's it. Again, gosh, I'm so excited for this week. Uh, Can barely contain myself. I'm glad I have the Buffalo Bills versus Kansas City Chiefs to distract me a little bit. uh, A little bit on Sunday before heading into the week. Uh, But, uh, again, you can sign up at reclaiminghope.substack.com and you'll... You'll be on the mailing list. You'll you'll find out the news uh, uh, first. And uh, hey, shout out to the That Sounds Fun Network for hosting uh, for hosting us, being such great partners. And we'll talk to you for the morning five this week, and then we'll be back as always with an episode of Where We Are next week. Until then, bye.